Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear Valley Review. Another day of podcasting. Better get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Many great sights await inside the Picture Palace of the Past, and we have plenty of ways to talk about the things inside. So hurry and get your seats. Tonight, the Ballyhoo takes you to the very end, where there is no human left, only the emergence of a terrifying new civilization bred from the air and neglect of man, with only Vincent Pl- Price left to travail the landscape. Some would call him a legend, but others would call him the cinematic forebearer of a tradition that is carried on to to this day. One thing is for sure, we shall see his journey through the rubble of a barren world with 1964's The Last Man on Earth. So see the show and stay behind for a discussion to delight the earbuds. We switch you to the state capitol where His Excellency, the Governor, is speaking from the Executive Mansion. Further, I have, in conjunction with the federal government, declared this state to be a disaster area. To keep you here until they come. To kill me. Vampires alive among the lifeless that make the night hideous with their inhuman cravings. If they are not destroyed in the flaming pits of hellfire, or stick to the ground in the light of the sun. (coughs) Will the unbelievable become real? A world of inanimate zombies by day? Irresistible, horrifying attackers by night? Can a zombie woman's hunger for love repopulate the earth?
Now that you've seen the show, we will get to the talk of the day. Yes, in 1964, producer Robert Tibbert worked with I Am Legend author Richard Matheson to create a film vision of Matheson's work. But the origins of Good Intentions went down a far different path than the creator intended, leaving behind a piece of horror and sci-fi cinema that has polarized fans of film and literature. But what is it about this Vincent Price outing that makes it worth a conversation beyond the mere merits of film in the 60s under independent auspices during a changing film landscape? Well, unlike Morgan, I shall not be alone in trying to figure this out. With me today are two podcasters whose poptimism can gleam through the any apocalypse through their ways with a jovial bone forming around their kind core. Their love and compassion for things they love in the sphere of pop culture and nerddom can be heard on their regular podcast, Poptimistic. And today we shall see how poptimistic one can get in the Sugar Kingdom when it is left under the dominion of Vincent Price. Please welcome to the show Brent Ballard and Anthony Kuba. It uh, never gets old to get introduced like that. That was amazing. <laughs> welcome, I feel so gentlemen. Good right now. This has been long in the works. My goodness. You two. Yeah. You two have brightened my damn day. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Anything for you, Zach. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know you only make it for me and nobody else. This is true. This is, it's, it's similar <laughs> to the movie Mank. It's just like, I don't understand why people spend a bunch of money to make things only I'm going to like. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Mank's a complicated issue with me. But welcome, gentlemen. Um, you are new to the Ballyhoo and to my podcasting ventures. I want to give you guys a chance to sell yourselves. Pitch. Mm. You do some wonderful ads on your show now. There's a chance to pitch yourselves. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that no. goes to Brent, our local salesman. Yeah, oh, Brent, give yes. us a spiel on you. <laughs> uh, welcome to our little shop of horrors. And by horrors, I mean <laughs> happiness and delight. Hey, I'll uh, be your dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, honestly, you know, Poptimistic is a little passion project of ours that just came out of not wanting to talk about sad, negative things that happen and want to talk about all the good things that we enjoy about anything in pop culture. Um, I feel like we've done, I mean, we've done comics, we've done uh, D&D as an episode, we've done lots of movie episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a music episode that bored the tears out of most people. But, you know, we, we <laughs> persevered and pushed on through, and uh, I'm having a, a heck, heck of a time each each episode. It's been great. Yeah. So You guys uh, did, um, you had uh, a friend of ours, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Marshall Rosales, on. Yeah. And one yes. of my One of my favorite things you guys have done on the show, it wasn't just because Marshall was on. It was what you were doing was yes. giving a platform to films that are undervalued and underrated and giving... Uh, credence to the notion that any movie can be somebody's favorite movie, which is like, yes, that's a big thing that I and Matt Willicks talked about in the, um, uh, an episode that just dropped on Rio Rita where, you know, the idea of just like, you know, like it takes a lot of time and effort to make a movie. And so to appreciate anyone that you particularly love, like, yeah, I I was going through the list and I'm just like, yeah, I've got a bunch of these on here. The Shadow, Radioland Murders, they're all on they're all on that lower Rotten Tomato rating, and I've just got the Shadow. Yeah, I love the I love the Shadow. It's flawed, but I love it. I loved it as a kid. That was I was all over that shit. Yeah, it, it actually, funnily enough, um, uh, Willix was the one who pointed to the Kenny G jazz scene for me because I never noticed it before. Oh, yeah. And then in all film right. school, he showed it out to me and I watched it and I was like, that motherfucker, why did you... I lived in a cloud of ignorance until today. <laughs> 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 um, and so, and Brent, you... Um, 
what what I appreciate is that you introduced me to a couple of concepts that you and Anthony both, but like Stadia gaming, you're, you're introducing me to yeah. a world that I kind of left behind in high school or like middle sure. of high school. Um, so like it's to the point where I'm just like, am I getting a PS five when people aren't beating <laughs> each other with sticks to get it? Like, I mean, I, I support the decision of doing that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I'm probably going to do because actually I was, I was considering getting a switch at one point cause they had, um, they have the Mario games and the Zelda games, but they also have, uh, the Friday the 13th game. And I'm like, yeah, that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's the they reason sure I'm going. It sucks that there's no more new content out of that because Victor Miller, uh, won't stop. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. He he has rights to the material, but also I want more Jason things, please. <laughs> I know. Seriously. It's redonkulous. Now, Anthony, we we are not strangers to each other either, though. No, uh, sir. We, we have to we have to clarify this for the audience. We've worked together in films before. <laughs> there are conflicts of interest here. <laughs> yes, exactly. In fact, you probably shouldn't be here. Why don't you just leave me and Brent alone? <laughs> Copy that. Leaving. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, but yeah, you were um, you were a very, very uh, influential figure in my life in film school. Uh, you were I appreciate a very, that. very, very, um, uh, very optimistic human being running around helping people out where they needed the help. I think I first met you on Maggie Hart's set impressions, um, which yeah, that, that must have been it. I can't remember. I know I met Maggie first because Maggie's like I think- the greatest. <laughs> Yeah, I I swear we met like in uh just in class one of sometime might, might have been one of them. I'm kidding. I don't have like a specific memory, but it had to yeah. be at film school because that was you know, I remember impressions specifically. That was not the first time. Yeah, no. I think we've known each other for almost a even oh. maybe even more than a decade. Yikes! This is this is crazy. Then okay, then <laughs> my memory is still shot to shit now. Okay, <laughs> no worries. Uh, but no, we we worked on several things. I AD'd. Uh, was your first AD on a short film? Um, the boy and, who stares. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that one was. It was a personal one for you. Um, and then I actually in another personal one for you. You only make <laughs> personal films, I guess. Is uh, I was uh, I acted in one of yours too. I'm, so. I'm an artist. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, you you did actually. This is the one I wanted to talk about with you for a quick second. Is earbuds, which you came out for a day. It was me, Brandon Rose, um, and uh, his girlfriend Alicia. Literally a four person crew shooting for a day out in California. Watch. Oh, actually, and Risa and, Scott. Yep, Risa Scott. Yes, she plays your 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 girlfriend who, um, <laughs> kind of like Janet Lee and Psycho. Frames me for yeah. murder. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's unintentional because she just can't take it anymore from the alcoholism involved. Right. And and um, he wasn't on set, but Matty O'Connor played my podcasting compatriot. That's right. Drives you crazy. (laughs) And uh, actually, it was one of those films that we screened it at an open screen night, and uh, uh, I I literally heard the words "Holy fuck." (laughs) because of what was what you were doing <laughs> because like when Reese's body appears at first they're like holy shit and then yeah. you start wandering through and then you go through the woods and whatnot and people were just losing it <laughs> and the ending of it where you're dead in front of the tree <laughs> right. um, it's a it's a it's a very like it's a, it's a very dark piece but it ends on a yes. Hitchcock joke <laughs> just uh, that's right. me taking a picture of your dead body <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's it's a it's a it's a film. The that director was, cameo. Yeah, exactly. That was um that was like that was a callback to Hitchcock, and then years later ended up doing a Hitchcock podcast. Go figure. Um, yeah. But Who I knew? will. Uh, but but something that I have found wonderful about the last year is you and Brent starting this podcast because Aww. we had talked on and off about podcasting 
uh, yeah. through Instagram. Because I think you were, we were chatting with you about Shamley at one point, and you were saying like, "I'd love to get a podcast going." I'm like, "Well, you should do it." <laughs> um, yes. But uh, th- but to see what it has blossomed and getting to know Brent through that, like that's like that's what I like is also meeting new people vicariously through the earbuds because I'm a lonely person yeah. like anybody else here, and yeah. so to learn about Brent's experiences with nerd and pop culture, and also to learn that when I sent you guys this list, you guys gave me quite a list and it was very, <laughs> it was very, very sixties heavy, which I appreciated mm-hmm. because it's about uh, how far back we go. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> really- well, and I think that like it was funny at one point I was like, well, they're poptimists. Maybe I'll do this one for it's a wonderful life. But I'm like, no, 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 no. That's gotta be, that's gonna be a different episode at some point. Sure. But, <laughs> but, which by the way, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. It's a great movie. Did you, have you watched it in 4k yet? <laughs> No, it looks. Is it? Great. I didn't know that. Yeah, I bet it does. I didn't yeah. know they had a uh, 4K yeah. remaster. Yeah, the 4K disc is the black and white version. The Blu-ray in there is the color okay. version, and that oh. one and that one I have no problem tossing into the garbage. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I didn't. I want to. I want to <laughs> call back and just say, by the way, Poptimistic wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you. I always credit. Kevin Smith as the man who made me want to do podcasts. Mm-hmm. You introduced me to Kevin Smith. Yeah. You actually also took me to a one of their live tapings. Yeah. Um, I did. In, yeah. When I first came to LA, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah, you took me to a live taping and um I that was the first time I really got into podcasts. So I just devoured everything Kevin Smith down to the uh nights with Kevin Smith, you know, that series of of, mm-hmm. of interviews. Sort yep, of. Yep. It's like a one way interview. <laughs> well, not yeah. really. Anyways. So uh and then yeah, I just um I mean I've kind of moved on past him into new stuff, but like mm-hmm. he ignited that fire. So I do credit you with that. So <laughs> all of this is because of you. Oh, thank you, sir. I will say that Kevin is a point of it. Kevin's Smodcast was the first podcast I ever heard. Until then I had no oh, idea what a, I had no yeah. idea what a podcast was in two th- he started it in two thousand seven. That's when I was in the peak of my Kevin Smith fandom and I found it and I had to put it on it. I had a Zoom player. I didn't have a, oh, a yeah, an iPod. Yeah. I did not have an iPod. I had a Zoom player and uh, I had to download the MP3, kick it into there. Um, and I had uh, I had all of them up to a point, and then uh, I fell off of Smodcast somewhere in the mid 2010s. Yeah. Um, but I've still kept up with the films. Like I'm a big supporter of Tusk. Uh, I yes. hope Yoga Hosers finds an audience because I think it's unique and deserves that. Um, and I think Reboot, while I have issues with it, it's one of the best Jason Mewes performances you will ever see in your life. Um, it okay. is It is a it is a movie that is written directly to his experience in a way that I absolutely enjoyed. Like I have Jason Muse made me cry. That's how affecting the movie was. Yeah. And um, now it also, but it, but it also is a retread of strike back. So there's elements where I'm just like, okay, the one thing I saw, it's a, it's a notification of how much I've grown up is when I watched it and I walked out, I'm like, Oh, that was cool. What I have to do tomorrow. <laughs> and it's not, <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't because I didn't like it. It's just like, man, like the view universe fell off for me at some point and I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not worthy of staying in its, in its lovely kingdom anymore. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, it, I kind of fell off too. I get that. It's just, you kind of like grow a distant and it's mm-hmm. just like move on to other things. It'll always be there for you and you can revisit, but 
Absolutely. It's not your main squeeze anymore and that's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. And um but to but to get back to the list that you guys gave yes, me because it was very sci-fi heavy. No, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's very sci-fi heavy. We, are. we haven't really done sci-fi on the show yet. Um Ooh. so you guys are breaking that ground. You gave me a good list and ones that I definitely we'll talk we'll talk later on in the week about having you back on for some more on that list because yeah. cool. one of one of those entries just came into my life again after a long long time. Um certain certain film produced by Howard Hawks even though he possibly directed parts of it it's not all of it. Um, <laughs> uh, are you going to name it or are you going to keep us in suspense? It's the thing from another world guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just spoil that now. Um but um but the at the top of the list was The Last Man on Earth which took me aback for a second cuz I was just like wow okay that would mean one, it would mean Vincent Price virtually back to back within oh, the span sure. of this yeah. show because we did House of Wax with Marshall. But yep. also, I was under the impression that nobody liked this version of the story <laughs> of I Am Legend. And come to find that if I really looked down deep into my soul, it is technically the most faithful to the book. Yes. Yes. Because um, the Omega Man. Oh boy! I've seen portions of it. I've never seen the whole thing. I am Legend. I didn't see in full for the first time until I was on uh, on the treadmill at my fitness cinema when I when the gym was around for me, and I was running to it and I was just like, "This is better than I was led to believe." Um, yeah. And you know, like, and I'd seen portions of the extended cut with the different ending, but I don't think I'd ever watched it in full. Um, yeah. Now. I want to ask you guys first with your, uh, I have a general question about your experience with golden age Hollywood, if any, but also what is your experience with uh, this, this particular story? It doesn't even have to just be the book. It can be the movies itself. So. I have seen, I am legend of the Will Smith version. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Period. <laughs> that is it up until I watched this one. Oh, um, right on. Yeah. Uh, that's it yeah that's the first time Bjorn. that's all of it did yeah. you have like a, did you have any experience growing up with older films of the pat like these older black and white golden age hollywood so, films not really uh we watched like a lot of veggie tales in my house ah, gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of a lot of like real christiany religious stuff and not yeah, nothing wrong with uh, waltz and with tomatoes <laughs> yeah you know it baby yep. yeah um, i did <laughs> I didn't really start getting like interested in uh, older films until actually earlier this year. Mm-hmm. I watched a um, a docu series on on HBO that it's it went through a whole bunch of stuff and it's just called the movies. But it oh, goes yeah, through yeah, yeah, yeah. it goes through the golden age and I was like I really need to watch more stuff on this. Um, I haven't gotten deep into it yet, but I'm really excited to go further, especially after this. And I've, I've watched this and. Um, the Great Dictator so far. Great Dictator is a wonderful film. Yes. That is a that, yes. is, a, that is an essential film. It's a good pair yeah. with uh, To Be or Not To Be and um, uh, some other films of the era that d- address the the impending doom of the Nazis head on. Um, yeah. The uh, one, one that I rewatched for the first time in a while the other night was A Confessions of a Nazi Spy with Edward G. Robinson. And it was the first film in uh, motion picture history in America to address the Nazi menace up front without fear of censorship from the government. Whoa. Because oh, wow. there was a big policy within a our isolationist country at the time to be like, don't offend Germany. Don't offend Germany. Yeah. And the Senate right. was reaming down Hollywood's throat. 
Warner Brothers was one of the first to break with its European markets and specifically Germany because they were against Nazism from the get go. Right. And then they made this film and they virtually got like they, they were they were going to be taken down for the count. And I, 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 I'm, I, I'll have to correct myself on this if I'm wrong, but I believe FDR was among the people who was like going over to Harry and Jack Warner and being like, release the movie. Because <laughs> 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 it, it, it was uh, the way they got away with it is because it was based on a true story because there was an actual spy ring in the U.S. of Nazi spies that was broken up by the FBI. Um, very so cool. Very, very in, in astounding piece of work. It's it's kind of like a cheap uh, crime movie by today's standards, but I love right. the intent behind it and the story behind it so much that it's like I kind of forgive its flaws for that. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, now, Anthony, you you went to film school, so you I think you might have had a little more injected in you, which I appreciate. By the way, just, I, I want to say, Brent, I appreciate by the way that this since this is your, is your first time, I love to get the perspective of somebody who's kind of watching this with new eyes. Yeah, because it's a different kind of different world for you. I want to say one thing before Anthony uh, takes over the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I. I've been listening to your Ballyhoo Review stuff, and because I, I just listened to the one with um, with Marshall with mm -hmm. House of Wax, and so that's been another thing that's been fun for me is because like I had a list of movies for Golden Age that I was like I need to add stuff, but I don't know what I want to add. So now I'm just like going through your catalog of listening to stuff. I never think I would have watched House of Wax until after <laughs> listening to you guys talk about it, and uh, I think probably because the only one I ever think of when I hear House of Wax is the Paris Hilton one. But it's been yeah. it's been fun, oh yeah. So. Which has gotten a weird resurgence over the years where I'm like, really? That came yeah. out. Sure does, yeah. yeah. I, guess, I guess the mid-2000s are due for their nostalgia period. All right. I'm, I, yeah, I, I guess still so. have a crush on Alicia Cuthbert. Oh, so. yeah. Well, who doesn't? When you watch 24, you know. Yeah. Yep. Heck yeah. Yep. Um, now, Anthony, though, Anthony, you went to film school, so you had a little bit more exposure to this. Yeah, I had, um, I had more exposure, but I don't think I had more uh interest i would say mm -hmm. i was I, I went to film school because i was very modern like the matrix made me go to film school or Whoa. you know <laughs> aliens you know like yeah. very like more modern action sort of bigger something like that but i went and i was definitely exposed um that was about the time the first time i ever watched the last man on earth i had a whole uh i am legend sort of phase um uh where i watched everything associated with it in like you know a couple yeah. weeks but uh, I would say in general, I, I do have more say exposure than Brent. I do have more like I, everyone loves. It's a wonderful life, but I have a couple others that are older movies. I do tend to stick towards like seventies at the like most it's I start at like the eighties. So this is also a little bit, you know, I I'm not as into or understanding of the time and the like mm -hmm. inner workings of sort of golden age Hollywood. Well, the, um, the good news is within that though, is that we do have a chance to kind of ease you into an earlier period because we're talking about a film from 1964, which is four years before the industry really shifts four to five yeah. years before there's a huge shift and suddenly the studio system dies. So I was going to say, I was really actually uh, surprised when I realized uh, the Omega Man was only seven years after this one. It was released seven years after this, which was means it was probably made like five and a half years after this one released. Yeah, it's uh, and it's so it's night and day different. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's interesting how because because the Omega Man from what I've seen of it, 
I get the impression, especially with Heston being in it, that it comes at this dividing point between what the new wave is going to do and what the old guard of the studio is still attempting to do, because there is kind of a weird people look at the seventies as this period of innovative cinema only when in fact, there's also a slew of commercialized, very standard studio fare. Like one of my favorite films from the seventies is the sunshine boys. That's not a movie of the new wave. That's a very much a traditionally made studio like picture. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, or even smoking the bandit. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it is a studio movie by the comparison of like, taxi driver you know yeah <laughs> which, which that would be an interesting double bill i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i i would say that like you're ex- hitting the point and ex- I, another metaphor like comparison would be uh this is and we're gonna get a little into this this is the dawn of the dead wait is it night of the living dead night, night of the of living, living dead. dead yeah yeah uh and then like the omega man is like a day of the dead like the first one is an indie flick almost that's like low budget that like is very it's not as dynamic and like it's smaller and then just seven years later, it's a huge, high budget, glossy action movie. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's and it's just a different, complete approach to the material. So, yeah, I would say it's a it's a great metaphor for what they were doing in that time frame. Yeah. And not only that, it is also interesting given where the world has been <laughs> the last year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And I and I know <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, boys. We've got to talk about the, the future and how we can change it all. But um, yeah, no, the uh, uh, the the big thing on this film ultimately is also that it is a trope that has extended beyond the 60s. And but it all starts really with Richard Matheson's novel. Now, yeah. Who uh, now? I when I, my exposure to this, I'll, I'll I'll be upfront. I haven't read this book since eleventh grade. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the reason I read it was because it was given to us in conjunction with the movie coming out in English class. Because my English teacher was he's an interesting fellow. He um he would give you extra credit if there was a movie coming out based around one of the things we were discussing in the class, and you went to the movie and wrote a paper on it. Um, oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. I, that's a good I, idea. Yeah, I I liked it too. Except I wasn't going to go see Beowulf, but um, <laughs> and I, I and I didn't want to, and I didn't really have any interest in seeing this one either. But I did want to read I Am Legend, the book, and yeah, very very. I got about halfway through. Yeah, and I I didn't go back to it, and it's pro- more than likely because fiction books for me are an uphill battle as the older I get, and I'm going to le- work to fix that, but. But it was one of those last sci-fi novels that I read. It was along the same year that I read Slaughterhouse Five, so that which was oh, a, which was a bigger nice. influence on me because Kurt Vonnegut's insane, and I and I'd like to think that I can join his madness one day. Um, oh boy, don't we? I would, yeah. yeah the Blob can, style. Yeah, Sorry, can, that was a pre-show can, joke. Can we all just live in that kind of madness so it goes? <laughs> I, I really. It, it's amazing that such an amazing comic comic like dark comic farce set in sci-fi comes from a man who would go on to appear in back to school. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how the world works until I just look at it from those terms. Um, but uh, Brent, are you, well, I believe like from the last Optimistic, you had a little bit more experience with the Matheson book. Is that correct? Or am I misremembering? Uh, no, that would be all Anthony actually. Okay. Yeah. Literally my very first exposure was Will Smith and that dog. 
So then, so, so then, oh so no. Okay, then I, I, the, I, then I, I apologize for mishearing that. Then, but That's then okay. tell me, did you go into? Did you have any? You had no expectation other than this is another Will Smith movie going in, right? Um. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. There was no no real expectation at all because I think even the trailer for his uh, for that version was pretty uh, vague about what was actually going on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I went into it thinking this is going to be Will Smith somewhat like post post apocalyptic like action something. Yeah. So. To be fair, they cut the idea of vampires from that movie. They were like amorphous uh, creatures that yeah, like right. happen to have. Yeah. Yeah. They're creatures who happen to have some kind of bloodlust question mark. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, we well, don't. <laughs> what's funny, too, is because we were talking about the list of movies that we had sent over to you. I had I had told Anthony, I was like, I really want to I want to look into this because like I want to do a sci fi movie. I'm not familiar at all with sci fi from this era. And so I, I sent over a list to him and I didn't even know that this was in any way related to I Am Legend. Like I didn't know I Am Legend was essentially based on the same, the same mm. stuff. So when he told me that, I was like, oh, yeah, we absolutely have to try to do this one because <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And, and Matheson has quite a quite a career on his hands beyond just I Am Legend. Um, this is a man who wrote 16 episodes of The Twilight Zone, including... The Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which we all know what that is. That's where William Shatner saw Gremlin on the wing of a plane. And yes, and we've yes. made fun of it ever since. <laughs> um, I was so surprised when I looked Richard Matheson up because I just I only remember the novel mm-hmm. and because I had read it in film school and I remember loving the novel. Um, and then I looked him up and I was like, this motherfucker's done everything. He, he wrote for <laughs> uh, whatever. He did the, the screenplay for Duel, which was Steven Spielberg's first movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Real Steel. Like he yeah. did all the like, what? what? <laughs> oh, he did the box. He wrote the box, which is uh, or button button. It's called, which was um, the movie, the box, which I think was what, five, six years ago. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. That oh, was, yeah. Um, that was Richard Kelly's last uh, known That's picture right. as of this time, um, which I yeah. kind of hope he comes back. I've still never seen the box. Yeah. I'd love what a to... way to just go out with a whimper and not a bang. Huh? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a shame, but Richard Kelly's got three, th- three films that we can still enjoy. I, I, I haven't watched Donnie Darko in a while and Southland tales has oh, always yeah. been a puzzle to me, but I'm willing yeah. to go back to that puzzle. Um, it's also a literal puzzle. So that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. He also worked on jaws 3d, which, which blows my oh. mind. Ooh, the best <laughs> jaws. That's the most, the movie that was the most dimensions. <laughs> you know what? It's better than jaws, the revenge. So that's can, very fair. We'll, we'll, we'll go with there. But one thing that he did within the same time frame as the last man on earth is he worked a lot with the Roger Corman, uh, Poe movies, uh, the po- Edgar Allan Poe movies that Roger Corman made, which include The Raven huh. and The Comedy of Terrors, where Corman was taking Poe stories and putting people like Vincent and Boris and Peter Lorre in these films and basically getting one last hurrah out of these horror stars. So, And Corman, as we all know, is not only still alive and kicking, but more than happy to tell the story about how he was a film critic that ended up making films on the cheap, including the original Little Shop of Horrors, which he made in a day, which wow. <laughs> still fucking astounds me. <laughs> yeah. This, it, 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 it looks like it was at least two days. Um, <laughs> and, um, but, uh, so Matheson, though, within the novel realm, I think I Am Legend is like the, is the one that 
it seems like th- that most people who are unaware of Matheson have at least heard of in some form or fashion. Um, yeah, it's now, kind of his legacy. Yeah, and it's a good legacy to leave behind because uh, putting aside even the vampire elements for a second, there is something about the story of a, of the last man on Earth living and what that environment looks like for people. And, I th- and you know, again, we, we've, we've had our fair share of that experience feeling that in some form or fashion over the last year. And so, like, stories like this, I feel like they 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 speak to the times that they need to speak to. And this particular version of this kind of tale um, had a very, it's kind of interesting watching the film today, especially how much of it literally translated into the last year, like almost yeah. to a T yeah. except for vampires. Uh, obviously we didn't see that. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there that, are people uh, uh, without face coverings trying to, you know, uh, get you to come out of your house and mingle with them. <laughs> that is true. They, I, you know what? That is true. The moment that the quarantine started happening, I did hear somebody outside of my house going, Morgan, Morgan. <laughs> Very lazily, Morgan. Yeah, right. Um, and just like swinging a two by four, like with no intent behind it, just yeah. to like swing it around. Which oddly enough, it, it sounded like it hit the hit the door, but yet it never really hit the door. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what would I tell you guys? If uh, I told you that this movie was um, actually an Italian production. <laughs> yes. I started well, looking into this and I was like, what? Yeah. Everything is Italian. Also, by the way, co-directed by an Italian guy. Yes. Uh, I was so, going to ask so, you about that. So I, I, I am new to this particular information, but this is what I was able to kind of look into. So first of all, the directors of this film are Sidney Salco and... Yeah. Ubaldo B. Ragona. Um, and if I mispronounce that, I'm sorry to Ubaldo's legacy. Um, but <laughs> there's very little information that I have on him apart from the fact that um, he became a uh, uh, he became a film director and focused on documentaries and moved into feature films. Now, the reason why he's in the last man on Earth's territory, is because we have to first go back initially to the production this this film's initial conception which is kind of sure i'm going to i'm just going to say what it is it's kind of re- redonkulous how the journey of this is so richard matheson writes i am legend all right cool yep, i wrote a yep. book about vampires and a, and a man who is the legend and then boom and then this concept uh, of turning it into a film initiates at hammer studios under producer anthony hines um, Hammer ends up passing on the project and reverting it over to the U.S. distributor Robert Lippert, uh, who was a <sighs> producer. Robert L. Lippert made a deal to uh, uh, dis- help distribute and produce films for Hammer to get out to the U.S. in exchange for um, some U.S. films to go out to Britain. And As you do. Robert Lippert is a very, very interesting figure that i think this episode is not going to do him justice i kind of want to do more on him down the line because he he he's a he owned a chain of theaters at one point he started lipid pictures he went through a gamut he worked with sam fuller at one point then he created regal pictures and worked in tandem with 20th century fox um and then later 
renamed Regal Pictures as Associated Producers Incorporated um, with the intent of making low-budget films, not unlike the films that American International Pictures made, uh, Mm. which is the ultimate distributor of this film. So what I can gather is at some point, not only does this film move away from Hammer and into Lippert's hands, but then it then goes into the hands of AIP with then Fox distributing internationally. Now, in the interim, as they were producing this film, Hammer and Hines bring over Matheson to write the script. Then it gets reverted to Lippert. Lippert brings Matheson back, but then Lippert starts rewriting, and then he brings in other writers, and then he changes a bunch of things. And then he tells Uh, him, hey, guess what? I got Fritz Lang to direct your movie. That's right. And Matheson's like, oh, shit. And then he's like, well, I couldn't get Fritz Lang, but I got Sidney Salco. (laughs) And he said, well, that's (laughs) quite a job. Yeah. What a drop in quality. But that, and that was last minute too. I would have been pissed if I was Matheson. Yeah, yeah. Matheson was not happy. Um so much so that uh if you look on this, whenever when I said that he wrote the screenplay, well, not really. The the credited writer is uh, writers are William F. Leicester and Logan Swanson, which is a pseudonym that Matheson des- yes. uh, designed in order to take he his He said name this off movie the- sucks. Take my name off. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting what? because it's the one that's the closest to his material. He lived into 2013. Did he not see what uh-huh. uh, what the Will Smith version was? <laughs> Which actually got the title of his book? Like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, do you, I'm, I'm imagining a very like gleeful Richard Matheson going like, oh boy, I'm going to finally <laughs> see the definitive version of the last of I Am Legend. Wait. By the way, they took the name and then they cut the theme that was from mm-hmm. the name. Yeah. Okay. It, uh, what? So- <laughs> Also, you said Italian, like Vincent Price is the only one actually speaking English. The rest are all dubbed over. For the most part, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I just thought, like, oh my God. <laughs> when he was talking to Ruth at one point, I was like, there's, that's, like, what's wrong with her mouth? That's, these are not yeah. the words that are coming out. So I was confused for a hot minute, and then I looked it up, and I was like, yeah, he's literally like one of the only people actually with his own voice even because the people that are dubbed over look, too obviously it's different people, look brent so. look brent sydney and robert were cheap bastards that's all it was they were that's all they were able to do like i oh i i tried i tried to tell them you know i could get peter laurie to play ben but they know they didn't want to pay so i just you know said well fine this is my room vacation yeah no you're right he the, the Italian about the rest of the time, that'd be great. Yeah, oh, no, no. <laughs> Just I, another I, hour of that voice. If, if I try doing this, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, it's mainly for segues, gentlemen. Um, sure. Now, uh, what's funny, though, is, is that the Italian production isn't unheard of at this point because there are a lot of uh, uh, co productions happening with Italy at this point. Um, not the least of which we start seeing emerge within the next couple of years, the, uh, the man with no name movies with Clint Eastwood coming out. Oh, Um, that's right. Yeah. Which are, which are strictly Italian productions, but they poured over American stars and then they have them do the Italian way of filming where you film it on film it silent and then redub it down the line. Um, What in the Fuck. If anybody, if anybody here has seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, th- there's a line where uh, Kurt Russell's narrator is going like, "Rick didn't appreciate the way he had to redub the movies. He found it all rather ridiculous." Anyway, here's the end of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know what that was referring to, but all right. Yeah, wow. no, that that's what it was. That was the Italian way of filmmaking, and the uh, this particular situation was mainly due to cutting the budget. 
And when yes. you look into the fact that this movie was kind of made on a running gun operation, not unlike what a filmmaker might have to do today, the cinematographers yeah. having to look out for the police in Rome, because <laughs> when you watch the movie, the streets are fucking barren. That's one thing I yeah. would like. That's one of those things yeah. that kind of marveled me about the movie. I'm like, dang, like it does look fucking empty. So this yeah. is some clever photography. <laughs> sure. It doesn't, it's not Los Angeles, which is supposed to be the location, but I, I'm on board <laughs> with, I'm on board with the lie. This movie wants me to believe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, the big one that kind of blows my mind is that Fritz Lang directing this film would have been something else. If I you, would have loved to see that version. Yeah, there, here's a, here's some films that I can recommend to you guys if you've never seen them. The uh, uh, the Doctor Mabusa films from Fritz Lang, um, obviously M, and uh, some of his other fare within German expressionism, where I'm just like, if he made a Last Man on Earth movie, it would have we would be we'd be talking about it more than we talk about other films of the '60s. We'd be like, no, we got to talk. About, yeah, we'd be talking 100%. about this. And I don't think Vincent Price would have been in it, but <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and this uh, this story itself, by the way, I was like rereading, and I was like, wait a second, this is from 1954. The novel's like really ahead of its time in terms of like concept of sci-fi i guess it like takes uh, a legend like a myth uh the dracula vampire myth and then it made zombies it made like sentient zombies before zombies were a thing in george romero like that blew my mind like, yeah, we're, yeah. We're... it's 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 kind of fascinating how he blends the two mythos because yeah. it's it's very clear that he's not going off of the uh, the original like inspirations for vampirism or the the uh, I guess the rules if you were if we're, if we're going into the if, into nerd territory where the, the rules of the universe there and um, uh, to me what's interesting is is that it because they are zombified to an extent it allows for something even more interesting than if it was just the walk like the, the undead walking around Agreed. in a vampiric fashion like there yeah. is a mentality to this mob of horrible creatures as they are known to basically work off of different themes because when yeah. we get to the back half of the movie or the story and realize that they have evolved spoilers by the way if you haven't watched it it's free on youtube go ahead and check it out anyway oh shit i rented it for three dollars I, I did too like a chump <laughs> i did too and then i found it on youtube and here's the thing we did the right thing because the version on youtube is scrunched up like this <laughs> and so you lose you lose the wide scale widescreen scope of the empty oh, room sure. streets which i think is very important <laughs> to this it's a good point um mm. but actually it's funny that the uh the the uh uh, this this is a review of the original novel um, uh, in search of wonder. The uh, the writer Damien Knight wrote. Uh, Damon Knight wrote, the book is full of good ideas, every other one of which is immediately dropped and kicked out of sight. The characters are <laughs> child's drawings, as blank-eyed and expressionless as the author himself in his back cover photograph. The plot limps. <laughs> All the same, the story could have been an admirable minor work in the tradition of Dracula if only the author, or somebody, had not insisted on encumbering it with the year's most childish set of scientific rationalizations. Man, this guy was wow. out of his league. Woo! Oh, wow, way to miss the fucking point, my dude. Damon Knight. Da Damon Knight took a swish at the basket and then instead hit the backboard <laughs> and it kicked him in the face. <laughs> yeah. There's a basketball analogy for all you basketball fans out there. <laughs> Go see Space Jam. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah a new legacy. <laughs> That's right. Oh, 
God. That oh my God. That that's a poptimism. That's a poptimism I'd have to express because like I love the Looney Tunes and the Space Jam tests my tests my love where I'm just like they were on the big screen and I want any exposure possible. <laughs> just <laughs> listen to our up. next episode. It gets oh. dropped again. Ooh god it's it's it, it that trailer kind of impressed me where i'm just like this could yeah. be better that's exactly that's exactly what i said i I'm i like, yeah. was shocked by it is, is it possible that we will get the space jam we deserve <laughs> that we didn't know could exist <laughs> um and what's interesting also is that matheson d- did not uh believe that vincent price was good for this role um uh, there was a moment where here's a, I actually kind of agree with him, but I think I think the point is Vincent Price was good in this movie. Mm-hmm. What what Richard Matheson wanted was a different movie entirely, and that would also require a different casting. I did have points where I was like, I don't think that Vincent Price is the right, especially when he's literally next to like a 19 year old Italian woman and they're supposed to have a seven year old child together. And he's like 65 and she's 19. Yeah. And I was like, I yeah. don't buy any of this. But um, I he had a really great moment of performance and it was like a longer shot of him. It was when he watches his home movies and then the shot just stays on him and he yeah. starts laughing and he starts mm-hmm. crying. And yep. I was like, that's the best part of the movie right there. That yeah. was just a great performance. And, and, and yeah, he brought it. And we're going to get to it in a second. Cause I, I do want to elaborate on it, but the, 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 there's a casting here that I'm not going to lie. I, I, I sort of agree with Mr. Matheson on his idea of what he would have wanted he said yep. in an interview later that he would have wanted Harrison Ford to star and for George Miller to direct. Now that's another situation where we wouldn't be talking about Mad Max Fury Road or not, no, no uh, Road Warrior at this time. We wouldn't be yeah, talking right. about Road Warrior at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any reason why we can't get Harrison Ford to do this now. And you I might, agree. Yeah, and and anybody who might be denying it might be saying, "But Zach, he's super old." And I'm like, "Did you see Call of the Wild? I don't think he gives a shit anymore. Nope. Let's get him into something he can actually sink his teeth into." <laughs> That's Being right. Old has Give him like fifty million. Actors, no, it, oh no, it hasn't. Hall Holbrook Roger was Moore. Work, I mean, Roger Moore. Yeah. Hall Holbrook. <laughs> fucking um, uh, oh god, um, Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> oh yeah literally worked into the end to where i was just like oh man what a champ <laughs> <laughs> and i mean let's just call it out harrison ford's doing friggin' indiana jones 5 and yeah. phoebe waller bridge was just cast in it like yeah. he it's fine he can he could hang out in a house and emote for a little bit like, another <laughs> another day of living better get started <laughs> oh man <laughs> And then it, and then insert just like Blade Runner, just a useless v- voiceover over it. Yeah. Oh, how about at the end he's uh, he's killed by a group of Chewbaccas who then rule the land. Good lord, <laughs> that would be that'd be astounding. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, instead of vampires, they just become Chewbaccas. The 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 the, uh, the leader of the Chewbacca gang goes, and there's a subtitle that says, "Now he is legend." <laughs> um, and uh, so on that note, though, Vincent Price at this point has already started seeping into horror legend at this point. He's already worked with uh, with uh, Ro- Roger Corman in his Poe series. As we said in the House of Wax episode, that was more of a deciding point for him to be like, where well, am I going to be a dramatic actor? Or am I just going to have fucking fun and make money for buy more paintings? And he decided the latter. And. At this point, also, he's he's just about to start making 
the transcendence into true like massive pop culture that we still consume today with his appearance on the Batman's TV show, which is a show that has its fans, thankfully, today, because I don't think it's worthless. Um, and his performance no, as Egghead so is something I still fucking love because it is just egg puns and I just friggin' enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent Batman. Um, but and at this point also he'd already done House on Haunted Hill. Yes. Uh, this so this is kind of like at his like the top of his game and he's he's kind of just relishing it at this point. He's not concerned about you know like prestige per se. That wouldn't come until a little bit later where he actually does kind of like in the late 80s, early 90s, kind of breaks into like one last attempt at the dramas that he would have done in the early studio system. So it's interesting that he kind of gets an arty performance here. He gets a chance at a really good arty performance. And I for how miscast he is, he does own where he able where he is able to. He owns it. Um, yeah, I agree. In fact, the the big piece of trivia that I guess everybody likes to point out is that um, uh, he wanted it to be so realistic that he wanted uh, he, when he's like lugging around dead bodies, they're mm -hmm. like actual people that he's lugging around on screen to show how hard it is to do this, that and the other. Yeah, um, which is something to the point of like he went that kind of extra, you know, mile to try and make this like a legitimate, you know, piece a performance piece and he was in it and he was there every day trying to do it which is admirable because i think like if i was in that position i'd be like i don't know if i should be here but like he went for it yeah and he uh and also this is a film that was shot in the dead of winter and there's a quote here from uh, a fangoria weekend of horrors in 1990 he said I, I never was so cold in my life as I was in that picture. I had a driver and I used to tip him a big sum of money to keep the car running so that I would change my clothes in the back seat. So he did not, he <laughs> suffered for his art like, wow. uh, like a, many a good actor would. Um, okay. and he, when you, when you watch it, like what's funny is like the, the, the first, I think the first half of this movie is brilliant. I yeah. think the second half is where it teeters a bit. I but, agree. We we can do this to use this to jump into the plot right now. We'll go through the Perfect. main. We'll go into the main credits again. First of all, again directed by Cindy Salco with Italian uh, work on the prints of this film because this film had kind of two different versions come out: one to Italy and one to America uh, by Ubaldo B. Ragona, produced by Robert Lippert, screenplay by not Richard Matheson, <laughs> William F. Leicester. <laughs> Uh, and then the Italian version, uh, which uh, re retranslated, was Furio M. Monetti and Umbaldo B. Ragona, uh, starring Vincent Price, Franca Betoya, Emma Danielli, and Giacomo Rossi Stewart, uh, with music by Paul Satwell and Bert Schefter. And uh, right off the bat, the music kicks in. I love this eerie yeah. eeriness about we don't get an opening credits. We are seeing the desolate wasteland of Los Angeles, Rome. <laughs> and I, I took a note about that. This opening uh, was kind of brutal. Like it, it kind of it makes a really big statement that I was going to ask you as someone who doesn't know much about Golden Age Hollywood. Like, how typically like brutal is is our movies like this was like just dead bodies everywhere first 10 shots this yep. is this is an era where you start to see it happen like that's awesome you okay can, so this is kind of pioneering that like yeah, feel you can get brutality pretty early on but it comes in different forms it's kind of like interwoven 
carefully. And this is also four years after Psycho, which already just decided, oh, okay, like, you know what? <laughs> let's let's just throw all the rules out the door. Um, right. But but this is this is brutal from a mental standpoint. Yeah. Because it's already challenging your mind. It's like it's putting you in a very uncomfortable spot that's not the same as Norman Bates dressed as his mother, uh, slashing Janet Lee in the shower. And uh, one of the things that I find interesting, even though I made the joke about Los Angeles being a Ro- being Rome, just the thought of these abandoned buildings and the clever photography to get emptiness out of it was yeah. very admirable to watch. Like, there's a very, very, very eerie feel about it. Like, there's like part of me. This is not to apply high art necessarily to this, but it reminded me of like some of these ne- Italian neorealist films coming out of post-World War II where there's a lot of like desperate imagery coming out of the forefront. And okay. and I've not seen a bunch of those films, but from ones I have seen, there's there's something very dire about the surroundings. And we get this in a sci-fi version. There's dead bodies fly- like lying all over the place. Yeah, There are empty streets. There are tattered buildings, things flowing in the wind. And we push in on a house. We go through the window and we see a man in his uh, in, in his nightshirt. Uh, it of course is Vincent Price, and we're we're treated to a lot of silence throughout the uh, the beginning to set yes. us up before we hear another day of living better get started, and then the music just decides to smack you over the face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now uh, I'm going to tell you how to feel. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, now 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 comes the part where you where you guys freak out over the experience of the day-to-day life in the apocalyptic zone. And I think um, I think those opening shots and everything too, I think that was important for me as a viewer to set kind of the mindset of what he's experienced over the last 3 years or 2 years or whatever it was in that time. Like I think it's uh it was good to see that desolation and like all of the emptiness up front. Yeah, exactly. And you get, you, you, I think you're also being thrust even on an independent scale into a world you don't want to see unfold into reality. Like, you know, like what, like this is something I was going to ask both of you is like, so we have this day to day operation of his, what's the one you can relate to the most given that we had in quarantine? Because for me, drinking. It, 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 no, sorry. I'm just, <laughs> I understand. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I was going to say like, you know what? If I had to change garlic every day to keep <laughs> other people away from me, seriously, that would have made quarantine 10 times more interesting. Not great. Just interesting. Making sure I have enough mirrors on the outside of my house. Yes. <laughs> And oh my God, when he goes to get more, because he says in the voice, because it's all voiceover, by the way, the the first like 20 to 30 minutes of this movie is voiceover. Can I say something about the voiceover? So I'm going to just tie in with the end of the film because I don't want to forget when we get there, but it's okay. We can hop around. (laughs) The the voiceover was really interesting to me because first I thought, am I, is this necessary? I always think that in a voiceover, is this necessary? I think in this movie it was because if you're basing it on a novel, um, the the hardest part of adapting a novel are the inner thoughts. Um, 
you can't because in a book you can just write pages of all your thoughts like this is what the character's thinking on screen you could just have a blank character staring and you can loosely try to associate something the whole idea what we learned in film school oh man looks at soup he's hungry man looks at baby <laughs> same face oh he's happy whatever you emotion you associate with a baby um here there's it's a lot more complicated and you have a lot more concept to sell and there's also just like one dude in a house like how much no. can you like build all that without just him literally saying it on screen. So I was like, okay, this is great. This works. The only problem is in the second half when they drop it and the, they don't bring it back around. And I really wanted like that last line to be like, and I realized in that moment, it's the same. They cut it from the book, but it was the same moment when he realizes I am the last man. I am legend. I will be taught to these vampires in their new society. Like, uh, like the myth that vampires were for humans before. Like yeah. that was so important to me that that came across, but it didn't because they just dropped the voiceover and I was like so disappointed by that. Yeah. Now here's, here's the consolation prize that I give it with that regard. Out of any movie where voiceover is utilized to a heavy degree, the transition from voiceover into dialogue, I really liked because it, it, it did it the right way. It, yeah. it built it up. It was a build up to the moment where he goes like three fucking years. No, you didn't say fucking. Yeah. Three <laughs> years living in this goddamn forsaken place. And the uh, the thing about the voiceover, like, because uh, like the last time that I've seen voiceover based off within the novel realm done that well is No Country for Old Men, where it starts with Tommy oh. Lee Jones telling the story yes. at the top before we get kicked into Anton Sugar strangling a cop. And, um, well, not strangling, brutally strangling the yes. cop and like yes. scuffing his boots on the fucking. Ah, I love God, that, that movie. Oh, ah, it's so Coen, good. Coen Brothers are awesome, Brent. Oh, <laughs> I agree. Uh, let's stop talking about Mathis and talk about Coen Brothers. Did you <laughs> oh, see yeah. a serious okay, man? <laughs> um, now, um, but no, uh, the uh, when he when he I was going to go back to the mirror part because when he goes to <sighs> he goes in this voiceover like I got to go get more mirrors. He goes to the mirror shop. This was a sign of like, okay, this is definitely an indie production. There's a nice little stack of mirrors there. Like, oh, hang up. It's like a hall of mirrors, if you will. And out of all the nice mirrors he could have, he's picking the (laughs) most basic ones off of the shelf. All but one of them are conveniently located in, in different aspects of like oh like around a fancy mirror and then the last one he grabs is off the wall he's like well i guess i'll make an actual attempt here <laughs> take that one but also before he even goes out he's already got dead bodies strewn about now this is the oh, weak yeah. ones that the uh that the um vampires feed off of and right from the get-go you you've got dead bodies flying around and you've got him taking him into the back of his trunk to then take to mm-hmm. a pit to burn yeah. um yeah. which the imagery of him with that gas mask there's there's a lot of like you know i you know tim burton has been very open about his, his love for these horror movies of this particular era the last man on earth must have been running through his mind at several different points in his career. Cause there's different visual elements of this where I'm just like Tim Burton saw this and wanted to run with it with his particular realm of filmmaking because yeah. Yeah. there's just something about the insanity going on in it. And especially in the montage when he's killing off the, um, the vampires like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it, I will say that from a technical standpoint, it is a, 
he doesn't look like he's trying to hammer the the the. You no, know, well, there's but, not a lot of effort behind it. Yeah, he's just kind of <laughs> like in terms oh. of the swing. Yeah, like well, I guess I'm just putting a nail into a piece of wood right now. Bam. <laughs> um, but. But it but it does work because like I feel like the emotion that that price is setting up how he's kind of like this is mundane for him. He even says like the joy of eating no longer exists for him. Yep. It's now just to survive. I think I'll just stick with basic shit here. Yeah. And yep. he goes to, he even goes to go get more garlic in a supermarket that <laughs> if, I think this is the first time he's been to this supermarket because all those carts are still blocking the way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I was like, haven't you if you've been to this one before, haven't you made a path? <laughs> <laughs> um and but I, I this whole big section of the film I like that we're living and not knowing the backstory right mm-hmm. away. Like yeah. we're dropped well, into I him. Think, I think he's they're using the imagery of like what I enjoyed about this is they're using the imagery of like getting up, having a cup of coffee, sitting at the table, listening to the radio, like trying just like, okay. And then he grabs his coat and he's like off to work, going to the office. And then he leaves and his nine to five job is stabbing, you know, vampires and shopping for garlic and mirrors and like getting gas in your engine. Like, so it was, it was very much a, a, a way of using that imagery to be like, this is life. And it's very like through the montage you feel, oh, okay. Days, weeks, however long. Like yeah. this is. Well, I think yeah. I think that 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 opening line, the another day to live through, better get started, is is yeah. kind of like their first attempt at being like this is his monotony that he lives through every single day. This is his yeah. life, and it's yep. Mm-hmm. He doesn't enjoy any part of it anymore. It's like, yeah. Which I mean, like at that point, like it, like it, to me, it, it hit harder even than any other like film that people tried to program within the space of the quarantine, because I was just like, well, we're kind of already in the mundane zone, like another day wearing the mask or another day, you know, social distancing better get started. And like, and you know, I'm more than willing to, to, you know, participate and and assist, Mm. but there, but there is a, there is a fatigue that you get with it and you, you want things to get better. And for, for Vincent Price, there is no getting better because, well, the virus took everybody and now they've all turned into vampires. So if you think COVID's bad, just wait until they all become vampires. (laughs) (laughs) Um, God, by the way, in the book, uh, Right off the bat, right in this kind of same sequence, uh, the book, and I, I mentioned this, I think, in Poptimistic, but the book gets real horny real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he <laughs> cannot stop thinking about sex, and he's like, literally every other page is like, I'm really pissed off at these vampires for making me celibate again. It's like, <laughs> dude, chill. Like, what? that's your thing? Like, why is that your driving fact? I think it was to set up the woman later that he really, really right. needed the companionship. But like, it was just so horny. I'm yeah, super glad up- I didn't have to sit through an hour and 20 minutes of horny <laughs> price. You know, that would have been. Yeah. He, that, oh, uh, Virginia, I missed the caress of your bosom right against my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Why Why can't we say this, Sydney? It'd be fucking perfect. Like, you know, I could just be a horny vampire hunter. Like, that exists. It's the 60s, man. Everybody's digging it. Um, and, yeah, um, the, you know, I mean, and Vincent Price should be noted uh, a gentleman salt of the earth fella. Yes. <laughs> Not a no, virtually no complaint ever made against him. Period. <laughs> Unlike everybody we talked about in the first ten minutes of this podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Vincent Price is better than all of us guys. Don't you know that? Like <laughs> when when he died, society died. Um, 
the um, so he died. So society died after Edward Scissorhands. That that's what happened. That was the benchmark. <laughs> oh great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, no. He he. As he's going through that routine, though, when he goes back in the evening, because he has to go back at home at night, because that's when the vampires can come out and come out a rocking and a knocking, as we find out, because there's a group that is coming to his house every night, led by a person. We don't know who he is yet, but he keeps yeah. going, Morgan, Morgan, yeah. open the door. <laughs> and Vincent is just like, whatever, man, jazz record time, couch time for Morgan right here. <laughs> this- <laughs> fucking this, chill the, the 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 smooth the 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 i don't know what kind of jazz this is it, it really does feel like it's like of that era 60s like like a miles davis kind of thing flowing through and he's just listening to it listening to the impending doom of vampires coming down to it breaking down his door <laughs> like there was something interesting about that imagery of him wrestling and tussling with that and th- it's within this that he starts recalling his wife because you hear the phrase Morgan help me. (laughs) Um, and he, uh, he ends up going to visit her grave, which I don't know how long he stayed there. The entire day. All of it. All day. (laughs) He just takes a fucking nap and just from like 9am to 6 30 PM. There was a, there's, there's, this is the one moment in the movie where I'm just like, man, like it's like a weird cut into into your day here like yeah. and the way the film's shot already and and pacing itself i'm just like this feels yeah a they needed off. a bit of a transition that that sequence didn't work for me yeah um it, it's almost like because the because the film uh the the him watching the home movies comes after that fact because yeah, yeah, yeah. that should have been the transition point where he's just That's like what i thought yes yeah that would have been a better like you switch the edit up a little bit which yep. given the fact that this film was re-edited for italy and whatnot i've never seen an italian cut of this film i wonder if they <laughs> looked at it and went like well that doesn't make sense <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the Zack snyder cut of this is the italian cut. oh it's four out ho- it's four hours, <laughs> four hours and, yeah. and and 50 percent less jason momoa isms <laughs> 90% more horny too. So what? <laughs> That's where all those but it's just subtle are. horny. Vincent Price's Justice League. It's just nothing but horniness <laughs> all around. <laughs> oh, and He's then driving a different po- stake through him. Yeah, Jesse oh. Eisenberg's still at the end, but um, you know, I, I couldn't get him to go away from the set. <laughs> oh, and I guess Jared Leto's there too because he wanted to hang out and buy some weed from me. <laughs> um, and. But that, but we're getting to that scene that Anthony alluded to, and and I, I wanted your kind of thoughts on this, Brett, because like, the home movies obviously don't look the best. They clearly look staged. But is this one of the first instances of watching like home movies in a horror movie specifically like that? Sunset Boulevard has this where Gloria Swanson's character is watching her old movies, but it's not the exact same thing. So like, this felt like one of those first instances to me of just like using this in a horror movie to indicate grief and sorrow. But I was wondering how it kind of worked for you as a modern viewer. Uh, you know, it was fine. I feel like <laughs> the, uh, I feel like all, like when it flashes back to, um, you know, everything pre, I'm going to call it pre COVID times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, I feel like that did enough for me of like, this is enough background to understand and like, I don't know. I didn't need the home movies. Yeah, it, it, it's it's uh, because the, the that that projected that home movie scene 
we do get his best performance in yeah. the yeah. film. Yeah, like, that's right. true. We we get him laugh crying. Yeah. Which is hard to do. Yeah. Even even with a method actor, I feel. And Seriously. Vincent Price is not a method actor. <laughs> Vince, Vincent Price is what's my lines? Okay. <laughs> Uh, and he does manage to pull off in one shot. Like Salco was smart enough to keep the camera on him that whole time and not leave him for a second. Um, and it's very heartbreaking. Like that's the kind of conundrum of the film to me is that for all the mistakes that are made, like there's so much that evens it out with like, this is great. Like this is considering the budget you have, what you're getting away (laughs) with is, is astounding. Like, I, that's where the optimism in me comes in where I'm just like, or the poptimism, sorry. That's where that comes in where I'm just like, you know, like this isn't perfect, but God damn it. There's a lot of effort here that you can't ignore. And I think you're, I think you're right too. Cause that, that really is his, his best part of the film. Like he crushes that scene. It's, Mm -hmm. it was like one of the, one of the notes I highlighted and made sure we were going to talk about was that scene. Cause, uh, cause of the crying and laughter, like, it was beautiful and sad and wow. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and unfortunately it's all too short because again, he's still being compounded by Morgan, Morgan. Yeah. yeah. He's just like, right. I've had a fucking nuff. <laughs> like, so he, when he, they, in the book, they're, they're vampires. Yes. Okay. Are they, are they faster? They're, they're, Yes, they're much, much faster. They're very human-esque. Like, they have the speed of humans. They have the intellect of humans. uh, But they're driven by bloodlust so badly that they can't really do anything. But, like, go for people. It's very, like, if zombies were smart and, like, you know, as fast as we are. So they really invented the zombie here, and they're also smart. Yeah. It's, like, but the only reason that it doesn't run into the territory of dibs on the zombie genre is because there's still the vampire element attached to it. Right. And exactly. And I believe in the book, um, the reason that their bloodlust is overcome is because of that new evolved form that, that is coming off of it because that's what we, that, that was my indication of it when I read it back then, but I may have, I may be remembering. No, I think it was the same idea as it was in the movie where they were like, semi uh cured kind of yeah um so it took away the bloodlust and they were left but they were left with the garlic um, allergy yeah yeah garlic allergy but they could be in the sun it was i don't know it was a little convoluted but it's it's kind of like a twilight vampire doesn't make complete sense (laughs) yeah yeah right but who cares it glitters (laughs) (laughs) they glitter they're they're comprised of very beautiful looking people. <laughs> there there there's there's issues with the storytelling. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, not... I would actually. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, go um, ahead. Yeah, I would I would say that like you're saying the editing, I would have put the home movies before the grave to really mm. uh, to to motivate him to like be at the grave all day because if he's already think if you're already as an audience member thinking about that and seeing his performance and how affected he is by the loss of his wife it motivates you because right now it's just like what the fuck did you do for 
10 hours at this grave. Like, why were you here? Um, to put it in front, you get that emotional uh, push to be like, oh, I, I get this. I, I, you know, he misses her. Like, he's just in a state of grief and loss. And then like, oh, I can rationalize him being there and not being and being a fucking idiot. Yeah. And, and also it, it, it gives you it gives more clarity to the idea of like, look, I know I'm not supposed to be out here this late, but. I'm going to sit here for a while with my with with the body of my dead wife and yeah because at this point his whole the whole conceptions of regular day-to-day functions in a normal society have kind of left him at this point apart from whatever he can manage within his own sphere his like his routine his ability to stay alive in this landscape that he's in but like Going to the cemetery is not on his priority list. He's got to mm. get garlic to protect himself from the vampires. <laughs> yeah. He's got to stake more vampires. He's got to make yeah. sure that he gets back before dark. This yep. is a deviation from his routine of epic epic right. proportions by, by year three at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And also, by the way, he makes his own stakes with a really cool spinny machine. <laughs> <laughs> that's an official woodworking machine. Like that's what they use to do that stuff. I don't know. I've never God done damn, it, but that's, I, it's very cool. That's fucking dope. I can imagine yeah. Vincent Price was just like, "Let me learn how to operate that motherfucker." <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> that, that I'm, 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 I pride myself in being a tool of all trades, and this is one of them. I'm going to learn how to yeah. be a woodworker. <laughs> I'm like Daniel Day Lewis, except I'm not as I was about frustrating. To say- <laughs> You you call him not a method actor. Yet yeah, he is no, exactly. All that is man. No, yeah. Well, I say again, like I'm Daniel Day Lewis, but I'm not, you know, then gonna give up acting to make dresses. Like, right. <laughs> wonderful actor. God, Interesting come back, choices. Daniel. Come back. Yeah, I need we Daniel Day Lewis to play the ultimate role that he'll never uh, that I challenge him to do, which is I want him to play himself. <laughs> oh my god if you got daniel speaking Day of Lu- society dying yeah it would be sucked into the black hole of daniel day lewis and the fucking paradox here's here's the thing it has to be in a raunchy college comedy <laughs> oh my god. i don't know what he's doing there he just has to do it but he's there <laughs> it's like well let's get our celebrity cameo in here it's like neil patrick harris in the Harold and kumar movies where it's just like let's just right. get an actor to like completely ruin his legacy or or expand upon it with an exaggerated form um, you do like the 20th anniversary of american pie and like and, and he just ends that genre by being you know he, the ultimate cameo he's jim's granddad oh no <laughs> it writes itself what did you what did you do to that pie <laughs> <laughs> this is disgusting Son, what have you done to this party? <laughs> he just starts throwing Jason Biggs down to the bowling alley. Yeah. <laughs> bowling pins. pins. I oh, drink God. your milkshake. Um, the but this is the part where we get him breaking the vi- voiceover. Now we start going like three years. That's true. Three yeah. years, and mm. then we get that transition, and we are suddenly at an Italian birthday party, and yeah, um, right, uh, and we start learning the origins of this virus where it's a European wave, uh, a European wind is what they call it, which I kind of like yeah. the language of that, like a European wind flowing in. Like I was just like, that's, that's pretty, it's like the fashion of the summer. It's blowing into the U S yes, exactly. Like that. And then like that, when I, when I thought of the, like the wind blowing in like that, I was just like, there's, there's room for poetry here, but I, I'm, I'm trying to get past the different elements that are about to come up. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Be- because there is, first of all, he's a, Morgan is a scientist. He's Dr. Yeah. Robert Morgan. Yeah. Um, and he, 
he doesn't really believe the uh, impact of this virus initially because he's not he doesn't want to jump to conclusions or think that they're in any risk. Um, his uh, his his good friend Ben though is a little bit more suspicious, uh, and he. It seems like as the as their flashback progresses, this really does become like, you know, like a, a weird idyllic con- ideology conflict of how to handle something of this nature that is a little too condensed for its own good because this movie's only an hour and twenty six minutes. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. Um, and so, but they did do a good job because, well, in in just a small detail, in the book, he was like, he's like a factory worker, and then he has to go to the library every day and learn about biology Mm -hmm. um here it was like oh okay he's a scientist he just knows all this shit like yeah (laughs) interesting and and we we also we also set up the wife too and his daughter which yes which is is his daughter was the most dubbed i think we 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 crowned the daughter the most dubbed in the in the story absolutely but what's interesting, and uh, I, I started feeling this harder now because I'm an uncle, and I, I don't know if Brent felt this since he's a dad, but by the time the daughter succumbs to the virus, I was like, I was getting like really creeped out. I was like, oh no, please don't, please don't do this to the child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, d- don't do this. <laughs> No. Like just, I was just thinking, like, oh my, my, I don't, my, is my nephew all right? I know. <laughs> Calling up my sister, like he better be fucking okay. <laughs> <laughs> Watching anything with kids in distress now, I'm like, I don't know if I can watch I, this. I, I, I have a hard yeah. time. I have a hard time with it, except for the Goonies. You know, they, they, oh, yeah. they open, they open themselves up to that danger. Oh, for but, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's their own fault. They uh, deserved yeah. it. I was gonna say that's my second um, favorite moment. I think. Well favorite not because a child dies uh, okay but like i think Oof. it's just the best moment yeah like, the dramatic moments moment. the dramatics of it yeah that because her saying i what was it was like calling out for dad yeah like i can't blind. see, can't see yeah. that one i can't see oh my god uh, that got me like that struck me right in the chat i was like yeah. and it's not like rough. overplayed it's not overplayed it's no like, it's, it's it was like the, perfectly played the right level and yeah there is yeah. there is one thing about his interactions with the family in specifics where there is a bit of a delay in Price's performance in certain moments. Mm. Part of it has to do with when his wife is um, they get into the discussion about, like, do we call a doctor? Um, and he goes like, no, you can't call a doctor because if you call a doctor, they're going to insist on, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because at this point, it's become too. uh it's too unmanageable. Um, they actually, there's a, there's a scene where they're watching the television and they, uh, the governor declares a state of emergency essentially. And, uh, which, which gave me different types of shivers because I was just like, we were literally just through this. Um, and, uh, and the language is so similar to where I'm just like, man, like this is like, I, 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 this movie's free on YouTube, guys. You guys can watch it and just be like, geez, like 1964 was calling out. Yeah, gotcha. And um, uh, and so ultimately, when it all said, what's all, when it's all said and done, we get through this flashback. The child dies. Yeah. And yep. they bring her to the pit. And there's this yeah. wonderful scene of Morgan flat out searching for his child. Yeah. And and he goes like my daughter's in there and the guy who's pushing him back goes like there's a lot of daughters in there including mine yep. and I'm yeah like, yikes 
Yeah. Yeah. For as much as um, like there was like all this screenwriter stuff, there were uh, several lines that were yeah. really impactful. Yeah. And by the time we get out of that flashback, dude, like we're we are literally pushed back into the zone and uh, of really. Uh, really understanding the crisis that he's been in this whole time. And actually the the moment when his wife dies, that's still in the flashback, by the way, there's a great horror moment where he starts hearing his wife's voice from outside because his wife had emerged from where she was buried. Yep. And you start hearing her voice going, uh, let me in, let me in for an independent movie to get that effective a scare like that, that's where I start seeing in James Wan movies today where he uses that as opposed to the graphic violence mm-hmm. in some of the Conjuring fare. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's a good there, point. There's something about it where I'm just like, man, like I don't think James Wan saw this directly, but like, shoot, like that's pretty damn, damn close to it. Um, and we also get the dog element in this, which is obviously right. very yeah. prevalent in I Am yep. Legend and... Uh, the movie version as well. And, and it's also in the book. Yeah. And yeah. And so this is an element of it that I found interesting because they really relegate it down to like this one moment here. And unlike the Will Smith version, this is where I give the Will Smith version a bit more credit. Yes. The, the yes. dogs, the dog scene here is great until we cut to the reveal of him having killed it. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> because the scene works really well because he's like, oh, look at this pup. I'm going to take care of you. And then he looks at his hand and he has to like check to see if the dog's in- the saliva is infected. He puts it under the microscope and you see this emotional moment on his face going like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, <laughs> what yeah. am I doing? Next shot is there's a ba- a small bag on the ground with a stake through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of got lost for a second, too. I was like, I, I didn't make the connection for a second. Right. I, don't, I must have, like, looked away. But I was just like, I don't know if that was really well done. Like, I think we could have seen a moment of him, like, debating whether or not to and maybe grabbing a stake from the pile or something. And then you... Um, my <laughs> And then yeah. you kind of cut to that. My wife, yeah. make the my connection. wife was walked in during that part and she... What's in the bag? And I was like, oh, that's, uh, you don't want to know. It's a de- <laughs> That's when Vincent Price turns to your wife through the television and goes, it's a dead dog, ma'am. <laughs> it's a dead fucking dog. See, it was infected. And you're like, and then there's going to be a vampire chick that's going to come through here. And I'm going to be like, oh hey, my you God, stop. By the way, <laughs> I, I have to comment on that shot when they revealed the woman. Uh-huh. Um, it, the shot is so insane to me because there's just this woman who's like, walking out of her way there's a road behind her she's walking out of her way to go up a hill there's nothing in front of her she could obviously see him 30 feet in front of her and she's just walking and then all of a sudden oh my god there's a person i didn't see you there and just starts running it was like what the fuck like stage that better please now now, yeah there would have been there should have been a better way to reveal that uh, the Absolutely. only the, the only excuse that I will give for it, or the like the the benefit of the doubt, is that knowing her plot later, it, it's yes, almost no, just like obviously, she, obviously. yeah, this was the only yeah. flaw in her plan where he's just like, well, how do I get his attention? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have to walk directly towards him. It she's been, like, I yeah. know, I'll be obvious. <laughs> yeah, would have been That's better if she scene. like walked up to him. She's like, have you seen my dog? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I just, I just, Fido got off the leash. I just, I don't know. Vincent he's, Price, my, he's my world. I don't know what I would do without him. Vincent turns to the camera and you hear the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme playing oh. in the background. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, and he takes the woman back to his place. We, uh, we get this, he, we get this slow lev- revelation that she is among this breed that has grown past the virus. Mm. Um, as Anthony, yeah, there's a to. moment, there's a moment where you kind of like, he thinks, oh, it's another human. How do we do this? Like, oh, you need to come back with me. It's that, you know, uh, I think what they did, they did a decent job of sort of building up because the difference in the novel towards this is like the, I was talking about the horniness. Oh, he wants female companionship. He lusts after people. Sure. But it's like he, and it sets that up for him to take someone in Yeah, here. They did a little differently where it was the, um, it was the wife, uh, and then the dog, but a dog directly links into that because it was the loss of companion, the hope of companionship yeah. directly into it. I think there's a little bit of time in between the dog and meeting in the book. So I think linking those two things was that was why they're trying to bridge that. Let's not have him just be a horny monster and let's try to link these emotional yeah. ideas. Yeah. yeah. Let's to, try to like connect these dots a little bit more better. Yep. Yeah, sure. And, um, but anyways, yeah, but he's he's also weirdly suspicious, like almost immediately, but also not. He's like not suspicious at all, but he's also really suspicious of her. Did you both <laughs> notice that he moves in waves with this? Because he yeah. starts yeah. off suspicious and he goes, oh, no, no, relax. And then wait a minute, yeah. you're a vampire. Wait, no. Yeah. <laughs> and he's both, like, you, I like, can't be a vampire because we're both out in the sun. Obviously, I'm not a vampire. You're not a vampire. Are you a vampire? Are you a fucking vampire? Like, yeah, he's like intensely aggressive and then like way too relaxed like yeah and then intensely aggressive again it's like you are all over the place my dude and it is an example of vincent price knowing the material that he's working with even though he does proclaim that he really loved this movie in later life he proclaimed that he loved this film and even it went so far as to say which i'm i'm guessing appropriately based on the reception to omega man he's like i think it's better than omega man Boom. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and Charlton and, Heston, by the way, fucking trashed on this one and said it was badly written and badly staged and badly acted. And it was he's, like, he's just jealous damn, because he bro. was only in one good sci-fi movie. So, Ooh. Ooh. oh, I'm sorry. He's in two good sci-fi movies because Beneath the Planet of the Apes is a good movie, too. So, oh, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. See what I'm saying? Yeah. The Planet of the Apes movies are the main reason I still watch Charlton Heston movies, technically. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, anywho, though, um, it is revealed through that. Uh, actually, he gives her the blood transfusion, too, after the fact it's revealed that she's allergic to the garlic. And she's like, he's like, what are you? <laughs> like, yeah. And we get the, we, she, the, the woman, even though she's clearly dubbed, she does give a pretty interesting performance on this in regards to <coughs> her, like giving the bad guy expo uh, exposition plot and whatnot. She, it almost sounds like, like the way they're positioning it in the sixties, it almost sounds like they're addressing counterculture in a weird way mm. as an huh. allegory. And I only allude to it because the way that they're all dressed after the fact, when they're oh. hunting them down, yeah. I'm like, I'm getting weird vibes of like this, like these like different, hippies? yeah, these different, like not hippies, but like different, like counterculture factions that were deemed as enemies by amongst other things, the FBI, which had right. an agenda and, um, uh, and suppressed that's people's really rights. Interesting. Yeah. And so like, that's the vibe I got off of it, but I don't think it was anything too specific. Cause this is still 1964. So we, really haven't even hit the cusp of 
uh, counterculture at that point. Yeah. And if anything, the more direct allusion to like the Sibonese Liberation Army would be a little bit more astute, but that doesn't happen until the 70s. So, yeah, to me, it was more revolutionary than it was like hipsterism. Yeah. It, revolutionary is probably yeah. a more a more effective terminology for it. Yeah. Like that's what the imagery and the sort of like because it was very like they had guns. They were after change. They are the change. They are the next step. Like, you know, that yeah, whole like idea yeah, of yeah, revolution. Yeah. And I and I'm looking at this from the precipice of like an established filmmaker who's clearly living into his like forties or fifties, like having a certain viewpoint of the world mm. and looking that at that in the enemy standpoint rather than you know, actually talking to people and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, but like, so like, that's the, that's the vibe I got off of it. And like her, her reaction to things, especially when he finally does the blood transfusion, it, you know, she really just works into trying to protect him, which yeah. does seem a little abrupt, but we are in the last like 20 minutes of the movie. So at this point, yeah. by the way, this story just fucking takes off it doesn't it is stop. so cramped like yeah. and by and i wanted to say him using the garlic by the way he was such a scientist he's just like no no boundary no whatever he's like just an experiment slap you in the face with garlic does this work <laughs> like it was so Although, callous I, I like that when he gives it to her after he's done the transfusion she like has sniffed she sniffs garlic like no one's ever sniffed garlic before she like rubs it all over her face <laughs> she's like i'm oh, I, i've been waiting to do this for so long she she just goes over to vincent and goes is there a thing called olive garden <laughs> <laughs> can we can we go there why yes we'll have to wait a bit but we can go there <laughs> first let's take care of your friends once the and, mask oh mandate is lifted yes they, yes yes remember safety first madam <laughs> <laughs> uh, say Holy hey shit. six feet apart or i will hit you with that garlic again <laughs> i mean that i think his garlic strand was about six feet so that's a really good way to tie it off you know hey that was such away. a big ass strand of garlic like, he, oh uh, not only that but the huge basket of garlic he got from the from the meat department <laughs> which i'm i'm I, side research for me will be figuring out why garlic was left near the raw meat but that's a discussion or for, for three years how garlic was still there well, it's at what atom- point? At what point do you just make? Do you just grow your own garlic, Anthony? It's atomic. It's atomic garlic. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah. All you right. know, we use atoms for everything, and um, but yeah, th- we lead to the moment where the 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 crowd is gathering again, and it's revealed that the man who's been yelling Morgan, Morgan, is actually right. Ben, his cohort yeah. in science, who was helping him try to figure out a cure for this disease, as they were both. Uh, uh, undergoing their their own respective horrors within this new world, and we get this insane like last fifteen minute action sequence. Seriously, where, like first off, doors are broken down. the The leaders of the new vampire cult come a, come a knocking with trucks and guns, which yeah. clearly yeah. look like they came from some type of Italian military depot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, they and, they and- are. They are Morgan vampires starts- who are marksmen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, their berets and their uh, what was they had fucking like spears. Yeah, <laughs> it was wild. Yep. yep, we got knives. We got sharp sticks. <laughs> One like I, I, it's funny because they're talking about like you know like hiding from these vampires and stuff, but then it's like these twelve dudes just came and like murdered forty of them, and then are chasing Vince. By the too, way, so. So that was one of my weird notes. I was trying to reconcile because, okay, I think that 
I was I was having a problem reconciled. They were telling Morgan that they were pissed because or she was Ruth. Sorry, mm-hmm. Ruth, the not sort of vampire was telling him that her society was pissed that during the daytime he would go out and stab people. And some of those people are, quote unquote, living. living yeah. So they're like the vampires that are in their society. So but how to, of course, how do you know the difference? They're all just sleeping there in their beds during the day. Yeah. So like then they come. And there's like 12 of them and they just start fucking genociding all of these other vampires in the area. And it was like, okay, so they don't care about the ones that are still bloodlusty kind of, but they, I I was, I I got a little lost, but I think that they were pissed because it just so happened that several smart vampires were killed at the same time that the other dumb vampires were. They they, they never, (sighs) they never clarified the fact that he is, he is kind of killing at random. Like if, right. it's, if it's living, he assumes that it's not worth saving mm. because it's clearly either infected or near death anyway. So that's his, that's gotta be yeah, his rationale. Course. And so yeah. like, but they, because the movie is rushed and it does look like there's moments where there might've been some cuts here and there. Yeah. It does seem like they're kind of just rushing through and giving you like at this era, especially we're still in an era of cinema where, films work and not an episodic pace but it's it's a cut to the chase kind of a um mentality like oh, room, room okay. for breathing especially in a sci-fi movie isn't going to be on the utmost priority yeah um actually planet of the apes to my mind is one of the first sci-fi films that is allowed to expand on an intellectual level like forbidden oh, planet yeah. forbidden planet also would probably register but also i think that forbidden Agreed. planet kind of Forbidden Planet also kind of deals with a bunch of other things too. It's also trying to be like a grand space epic, and it's yeah, and it, it's a little more subtle, I'd say, with its sort of like grand ideas that it's trying to talk about. Yeah, and also certainly as a horror movie too, there's no reason yeah. at this time that they're ever going to try to expound on anything significant because right. by the time you get to the end of it, I will say like the when we get him being chased down into the church with. This woman trying to protect him for whatever it's worth because it, she clearly understands that there's no helping him. <laughs> well, I was going to say they, they took out there was actually a romance in the book. She falls in love with him um, yeah. and there's more time spent there. I don't and... think they cut it out. I just think it's very short because she seems pretty in love with him when he dies <laughs> on the stairs. There. Yeah, she 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 rubbed yeah. herself all over me. It was, it was even I thought it was a little distasteful. I mean, when a, when a woman rubs your garlic in her face, you know, it's love. <laughs> That's 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 the way we that that's the way love is established now in the age of post COVID. It's garlic. That's right. It's all garlic related. My wife is covered. Gotta be in antibacterial. Garlic. That's how you met your wife, right, Brett? <laughs> Instead of right swiping and left swiping, it's like smell or no smell the garlic. Mm-hmm. Any any real any any book I ever read on dating or relationship advice is fucking stupid compared to the simple answer of garlic. Garlic. <laughs> and like so we get to the church i will say though that a lot of these ideas that it might want to expound upon if it were allowed to be more intellectual are kind of summed up through pure cinema Mm. because i can turn the sound off on a lot of portions of this film and communicate the message directly without needing dialogue yeah um Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Vincent Price also acting in a way that's theatrical because he, he did have theatrical experience. Yeah. He wasn't just bound to cinema acting. He knew how to work the room. He knew how to work with space. Yeah. And the 
the scene at the altar where he gets speared. Yeah. Because it's it's actually like my favorite visual piece of the film. And yeah. it's a film that ends on such a dark note. That, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I was gonna say it's not a the, feel the good book movie. Is, <laughs> no. The book is way different and it has like such a bigger sort of idea. Here it was like more about the emotional punch of the ending than it was about saying anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's I it's going for um shock rather than um what would be a better way to describe like you know like that feeling you get when you have a really profound idea pushing through your head right, and you're right. like trying to process like but they, br- they tried to find a compromise because there was the i i think their compromise in the in the I, emotional sort of intellectual idea was uh that there was a child in the room yeah. crying and they used that to be like this is the grander society that we'll expound and like, yeah. And she says like, it's okay. Nothing to cry about anymore. Which I also, yeah. Which I also took within the, within the confines of like, it's okay. The monsters are all dead now. Mm, And I had this like theory of like the actress, like playing it two ways. So you're just like, well, she could be happy that he's dead or she could be sad that she's dead, that he's dead. It's, it's sort of like Cagney and angels with dirty faces, except not as elegant, but it's still, kind of doing something similar to like just kind of play into the ambiguity of the situation because yeah. it ends with that wide shot of the entire altar looking at the at the legend himself now dead yeah um and uh and that's where we get the end of this film and yeah we're kind of oh, like before we wrap up i wanted to say i, I had one more line that i loved mm-hmm. uh and it was Ruth said the beginning of any society is never charming or gentle and i was yeah. like yeah Fuck, that's good. Yeah, that is that's another element of like the uh, the way the script write, wrote it wrote itself out to me. That that's where I was getting that idea of like the revolutionary figures or the counterculture of just kind of like, is it are they playing this toward the villain angle, mm. or are they trying to be a little indifferent? But that line is so well written that I'm just like. I guess it's kind of just up to viewer interpretation at that point. Like, I don't think that, I don't know if, I don't think Matheson uh, under his pseudonym regardless, or if this is a Tippert line even where you have, you have somebody expounding this grand virtue in a movie that kind of earned it. It didn't do all the work, but yeah. And honestly it was the, that line came like, three and a half minutes after the big revelation that there's a new vampire society and yeah. that she is one of them and like all the whole thing. So it was really rushed, but uh, it, it, I think that line sells the idea of it yeah. um, and kind of builds up to the sort of brutality of the society itself coming to kill him. Well, I think and yeah. doing it. I think something with the, when he's dying too, where he says uh, like, they're afraid of me. He repeats that like three times or, yeah. and right. I think, part of what I, I liked about that was the whole, like the misconception of what all of them are doing. Like he doesn't know if he can actually help the vampires that have bloodlust and he thinks they're monsters. The people that he's been murdering think he's a monster, like just the whole perception or like misconceived, uh, notions of all these different people about each other and stuff was all really interesting too. I, I liked yeah, him the, realizing that he's a monster to them while he's been hunting what he thinks is monsters. And he plays that inversion because part of his reveal is that he's, he figures that he's immune to it mm-hmm. because of, uh, because of, of uh, I believe it, 
Yeah, the bat bite. Yeah, yeah. yeah which he ate a bat, bat in the Chinese market one time. And yeah. It, it, yeah. Then. <laughs> Yikes! Niche but, fucking yeah. COVID joke. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah. No. No. It's no. It's Ooh. fine. You. You went. You went the more sincere route. I was going down. Like one time, I bit the head off a bat, and then a Batman came <laughs> after me. <laughs> I guess no, that karma, one was good. I guess karma's a bitch. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that is the end. Now there's a wrap up here with this, um, regarding the creatives. Cause Sidney Salco is a guy that I think we'll end up talking about again because he started his career in 1936, uh, and worked into 1964. He started off at universal pictures. Um, his last film would be the murder game for 20th century Fox. It's a British crime thriller. Um, and Tippert would continue, uh, to work, um, into uh, a little bit more into the sixties. Um, and he, he passes away at the age of 67, um, uh, at, at, at the age of 67 in 1976, he kind of leaves behind an interesting legacy of other films that we will definitely be talking about down the line that also have to do with Vincent Price but also mm. how he kind of runs the gamut in this weird realm of independent filmmakers really pushing uh, pushing into the system that wasn't initially allowing them. Because within four years, independent cinema, or at least the voices of independent cinema, are what the audience are wanting. And mm. that's when the studio system is collapsing on itself because it's trying to make Dr. Doolittle instead of Easy Rider. And Easy Rider ends up being this gamble that pays off big time. And uh, I I was curious to see in my own in, in my own mind how this movie was responded at the era, and I didn't find many reviews. Um, yeah. And I'll be honest, I couldn't find box office numbers for this fucking movie, which is all I saw was it was uh, uh, polarizing. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. really like all I found about it. Yeah. So. From a modern standpoint on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the rating is at 80%. Um, and uh, from a, when you actually look at the site, it says more like 76% with critics and 69 to 60, 67% to 69% for the audience. So uh, hmm. there's, uh, there's reviews from the Cinefantastique Cinefant- Cinefant- felt that the film was hampered by an obviously low budget with some poorly recorded post-production dubbing that creates an amateurish feel undermining the power of its story. Um, and the Matheson's Matheson's denouncement of the film seems like it's to be the big one, uh, because yeah. he did not like this movie, which I do find weird because it is the most faithful that he would, right. that he would ever get. Um, and, now price liked it um with matheson co-writing it he kept the residual income while still being credited under his pseudonym so he didn't fully denounce it because he was still able to get money off of when it was making money (laughs) um and i wouldn't either my dude yeah (laughs) and his 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 disappointment in the film he said even though they more or less followed my story so it was almost just like he was expecting some form of perfection that he was never going to get. I would argue that Matheson doesn't need to worry too much because there's something interesting about the last man on earth in the respect that it's very available. Like it's in the public domain, AIP 
and or Fox never really picked it back up. The first time I saw this was Genius Entertainment put out a cheap DVD of this, and I got that for five bucks at Target. That's <laughs> that's the accessibility level that it possesses. And, you know, you can watch the version on YouTube, but if you really want to watch this film in a pretty decent black and white transfer for the most part, uh, it's available for, for a buck ninety nine on Amazon. It's yeah. not it's not inaccessible and I'm sure there's another streaming service that has it, but also like this is one of those under underrated gems where I, I do feel like it's just like, it's not perfect, but if you want a good time with Vincent price in a film that isn't quite what he's known for, like this film asks him to do a lot more than That's he usually true. has to do. That's true. Yeah. He, they ask him to go to places that other, like Corman's not asking him to go to this place. Corman's asking no. him to ham it up, yeah. um, right? which is fine. That's, hey, he gets money, buys more paintings. That's cool. I'm down for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like it, it, he doesn't really get an affecting performance like this for a little while until Tim Burton gets a hold of him and says, can you narrate my short movie? And he goes, why, sure, you silly young man. Here, I'll, <laughs> I'll go ahead and do that for you. Um, or you want me to play Johnny Depp's inventor father? Sure. Um, the uh, So I, I wanted to ask you guys, like, we we talked about the differences between how would you pitch The Last Man on Earth to somebody um, who – maybe a little bit like unenthused about watching an older version of the I am legend film uh, or the I am legend story. I should say. I would say it's uh, a smaller, more personal take on a story, uh, a more realistic take, something you can actually sort of relate to. Um, uh, I, I loved, I am let no, I didn't, I didn't love I am legend. Um, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really fun. Um, but I think this is a much more realistic sort of relatable take. Like uh, it's uh, obviously closer to the novel and the novel did a lot of great things and um, including sort of the horror of being surrounded by people that, you know, but now I'll want to kill you. Like just mm -hmm. the idea of that is, is terrifying. Like what if you wake up and suddenly the people that you were babysitting for my fiance just babysat for our neighbors, like, and they're pounding on the door calling for your head. Like, like these, that and also it's like the birth of this let's just call it this is a, kind of the birth of the zombies like it, mm -hmm. it yeah yep. we were we were kind of alluding to it at the beginning like it is night of the living dead is the first quote-unquote zombie flick but let's be honest like this one was the fucking blueprint for yeah, it yeah that's it was, why when i i had us i asked earlier if in the book they were were vampires or not because i wasn't sure if like someone got confused on the description of Same. what a zombie is because that it like <laughs> they seem very zombie-esque so it's i had to look up the years to double check that because i was like oh george abram i was like oh he's just ripping off did they do this after i assumed they did it after george yeah, a. romero because yeah. it was so similar and i looked it up and i was like holy shit yeah, <laughs> if I was George A. Romero, I would be so worried about a lawsuit. <laughs> well, and you know what? Though, given the fact that both of their films ended up in the public domain, I don't think anybody was angry at anybody. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Also, film students, pick this up. Like, there's really great material here that is, I think, hasn't been handled correctly. Yeah. To be yeah. quite honest, and it also does provide that that area for film fans, uh, for filmmakers to experiment with how to get away with things on a lower budget. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, the democratization of film nowadays. Anybody can pick up a, a your iPhone is a camera. Like you could film. I mean, not to denigrate this film at all because they were working on a small budget and fifty years ago, but 
you could shoot something that's higher quality than this today for fucking a hundred dollars, you know, like, yeah. Well, it really depends on what your garlic budget is and local groceries. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) That's true. You need more garlic. You need more mirrors. Mirrors mirrors. and garlic. That's right. Yeah. 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 You can cheap out on the mirrors though, because they're on the outside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just got to make sure that they're placed next to fancy mirrors in order to make it work. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I want to pinpoint. Don't have your actor grab the fancy mirror. (laughs) I want to pinpoint on something Anthony said about uh, the comparison. Because, you know, you said you didn't love I Am Legend, but it was fun. This movie is not fun in the sense of it's like an action y movie. You know, like this is entertaining to watch because of the emotional like values in it. It's, it's very, it's heavy and it's dark. And like, I don't, I mean, I, I'm, as we mentioned earlier, I'm not very familiar with older movies, but this seems dark for old movies too. Like I, it's just a darker Uh, film. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to send at some point in this week to Brent, a list of films where I can be like, if you want to have your mind a little bit ripped open, Cause I, I, there's one available on the archive that we just recorded an episode about that you'll hear where it's, um, it's a melodrama that I think pushes the limit on defining melodrama versus realistic drama. Like there's like, it's an, there's a weird in between where I'm just like, damn, this movie is melodramatic, but it's really pushing some hard issues here. This is interesting. (laughs) Please send um, me that. I need all the movies. I will. And, and actually I, I liked to the point that you brought up that, the movie is the fun from this film comes from the fact that it is very much what it sets out to be, which is a horror movie. Yeah. It, it is not trying to do the William Castle thing or even the Andre de Toth thing with house of wax. It's really attempting to do something. I think for all that tipper interfered with the story, there seems to have been an actual attempt to do something here. Like he wouldn't have brought Matheson on if he didn't think that that would bring some value to the piece. Yeah. Like, it seems like why bother with the author if you don't have to, like Hitchcock didn't even bring Robert block in to write psycho yeah. the script. He brought in Stefano for that. So I think there is something about what you say. And the fact that if you're watching this for any schlock value or like a MST three K value, I guess you can do that. I, I've always found a way to do that in other films that are, 10 times better than this yeah but for me there is a part of it re-watching it where i'm just like you know what this is a good halloween movie to watch this is a good yeah. movie to sit down at halloween to watch when i don't want to think about too much but i also don't want to be too frivolous like it's a nice little medium here yeah. for me um and on that note though we we we've gone through a hour and 26 movie with an hour and 50 minutes you guys <laughs> you guys have you both brought wonderful things to the table. This is an absolutely great discussion. I want you back for more sci-fi. Yes, we're going to do Howard Hawks is the thing from another world yes. next. Yes. That's the one we got to do. But gentlemen, thank you very much for coming to the Valley who really quickly remind the people about your wonderful sugar kingdom. <laughs> Go ahead, Anthony. Well, we are, we are the uh, hosts of Poptimistic. Uh, you can find it anywhere you please. Uh, we just try to talk about things we like. Uh, we try to avoid being toxic. We challenge ourselves to not be the toxic fans. We call it, we try to be the antidote to toxic sort of fandom. Um, and also just sort of a shining light in sort of, uh, a dark world right now. Um, that's kind of what we do. Uh, all of our ads are improvised, so you can actually send us ad challenges. Um, (laughs) 
And beyond that, like uh, we just really, really love meeting new people. So just send, say hi. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Brent, uh, thank you very much for kind of joining the fold here because, like, <laughs> this is our first time interacting with each other besides messaging and whatnot. You're a sw- you're a you're a stellar cat to have on board a podcast. Well, it's, thank it's, you. It's no wonder it's no wonder that Anthony does this with you like, each and every week. Like, it's he is as funny as he is pretty. Yo, oh, dude, yeah, stop. yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, 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 you keep posing. Yeah. You do what exactly what you need to do here, <laughs> sir. Um, and yes, I will say with um, within the regards to. Um, uh, poptimistic um one of the what a good there's a couple of good entry episodes if you're ever interested the one you oh. just put out with godzilla uh, versus kong is just a fun one if you're wanting something more up to date um sure. uh, the whedon snyder discussion was among some of the best podcasting i've heard this year thank you oh, wow. and um but there's also the wonder woman episode you did with our friend maggie hart yeah um yeah. that was a lot of fun too yeah, that one that one compelled me to be like, you know what? I I've got to put Wonder Woman 84 back on the list to find some uh some some nice positivity about yeah. it cuz I wasn't so hot on well, it. Well, and that's <laughs> I think that, you know that's Same. that's always been our one biggest goal too is like we we always tell people we can find something good to say about anything like and so far that's worked out. I we haven't gotten a challenge yet that we haven't really been able to say something yep. good about it. I think that was why two of my favorite episodes are the ones that we have Marshall on. Uh, I yeah. loved those episodes. They were so much fun to do because we really yeah. dug into some movies that are considered very, very bad. And you guys brought yeah. up by event. the way, that you was got... his idea. Yeah. yeah. He, to do the Rotten yeah. Tomatoes gauntlet. Yeah, he and I talked about it a little bit afterwards, and I was like, that's a fucking badass idea. It was man. awesome. It was so good. Was I fun. literally, I was like, this has to be a part of the podcast going forward. It was so fucking Yeah, good. you need to have, you need to get him back for more, because he'll, he'll dig into a, he'll dig into a list that you won't believe. He like, is. Yeah, he showed he could me. sell you a knife in the back. That guy is so good. <laughs> yeah, but gentlemen, thank you for lifting your optimistic crowns for a moment to get a little silly and a little ridiculous sure. while still having some love for a fun horror film that anybody can of enjoy. Of course, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I want you back. This is going to be the uh, it for the, sh- uh, the the Shamley silhouette. That was two years ago. Oh, this boy. is going to be it for yesteryear Ballyhoo review. You can find out more about us at the tag at the back end of the show. Um, we've got a couple of other episodes coming up. We are going to be doing a face in the crowd with Henry Jarvis returning um, after our Sancho the Bailiff discussion. Um, I am currently working on a return from Kev Moore to talk about some Val Luton. Um, and, uh, within the time frame, we will also have the return of Matt Willicks to top some more Abbott and Costello. Cause it's I think he was in an, in an outro. I was yeah, saying, it's, I, uh, I wasn't sure if I was one that froze. I know. No, no, we, we all froze here. It's fine. I, I, I see you guys froze. Now, now oh, you're not, now you're okay. alive. <laughs> Um, there we go. But anyway, so, but yeah, stick around for more episodes. More things are coming your way, guys. But until next time, stay optimistic and good night. <laughs> <laughs>